Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, here's what Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens plan to do if they form a government. The general election was over 18 weeks ago. 18 weeks during which the world changed in unimaginable ways. Think back to that first week. Sinn Féin were riding high, Fianna Gael were running fast, and many of them quite happily to the backbenches. The end of the two big parties dominating Irish politics was the talk of the airwaves. But in those 18 weeks, there have been ongoing talks to get a government together involving those two same parties. And now we eventually have the fruits of that labour, a programme for government which would see Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Green Party in coalition. But that's only the start of the work and it's why a lot of people are studying this document right now. A lot of people do say that programmes for government aren't worth the paper they're written on. But actually, academic studies, including those by Robert Thompson and Rory Costello from the University of Limerick, have found that most parties do fulfil much of their election promises, at least partially. Uh, this was true of the Fianna Fáil-led governments elected in 97 and 2002, and the Fianna Gael Labour Coalition elected in 2011. Items that make it into the programme for government are much more likely to be fulfilled than those that do not, particularly if they shared pledges going into the election. So, what should we be keeping an eye on if we indeed do get this government? To help us work our way through the 126-page document, I'm joined by our political correspondent, Christina Finn, and Professor of Politics at DCU, Gary Murphy. You've both been poring over this and picked out some of the things that we should be examining more closely. But first, Gary, can you tell us what even is a programme for government? Well, programme for government, Sinead, are a relatively recent phenomenon based out of the fact that we have coalitions. And over the course of the last 30 years, the idea is that the programme for government would be a type of amalgamation of the manifestos of whichever party uh, would be in uh, in office. And the idea is that it would be a signpost to this programme for government of what the government would do over the course of, in this case now, probably four and a half years. So at its simplest, a programme for government is a, uh, is a signal to the people of what the government will do. Christina, we have this programme for government now, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have a government, does it? No, that's exactly it. Basically, um, there's been negotiations ongoing for the last number of weeks with the negotiating teams from each party. They basically brought in policy papers from based from their manifestos, got together in a room and came up with the programme for government. But just because there's an agreement within um, the parliamentary party now after some meetings this week, it now has to go to party members for approval. So we're not there yet. What are the next steps for this programme for government? Well, this week there was parliamentary party meeting, so they got to have a first look at the programme for government, which the uh, party leaders signed off on. And the next step really is that it'll be going to a postal vote for the members. So each party does have a different way of doing things. All eyes will really be on, I suppose, the Green Party because they have the highest bar to reach. So everyone will remember, obviously, the Green way from the local elections. Um, So their membership grew massively um, following um, a very good local elections count the last time around. So basically, a postal vote will be going out to members and they have to reach a 66% approval rate for this programme for government to be accepted by the party. Uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael will also be asking its members through a postal vote. Um, they have different bars to reach. So for Fianna Fáil, it's one member, one vote. And for Fianna Gael, they have an electoral college system. So it's weighted towards the parliamentary party, which has about 50% uh, approval for the programme for government. So there are a good few hurdles uh, left 
left to to jump over in the next week or two. It has to be said, obviously, COVID nineteen has had an impact um, on how things are working. These would these approvals would have actually gone to an Ardesh or our conferences of each party, but obviously we can't have mass gatherings of thousands of people. So that's why it has been agreed that a postal vote will be sent out to members. Um, those votes have been will come back um, on the same day and be counted on the same day. So we should get a good indication, um, I think, on Friday 26th about where we stand with all that. Gary, Christina mentioned there that the Fianna Fáil vote is one vote per member. What bar does the party have to reach for this to be passed? They just have to reach 50% plus one, Sinead. So basically it's uh, the classic uh, one member, one vote. And as long as the majority of the members uh, vote, yes, uh, Fianna Fáil will, uh, will, will agree to this programme for government. Basically, it looks like Fianna Gael have the easiest job passing this because the parliamentary party have the most say. Fianna Fáil then, they have to get to 50% seems doable, but the Greens really have the most difficult job. 66% is a pretty high bar. What happens if any of the parties say no or the, any of the grassroots say no? Well, if they say no, uh, the minority Fine Gael government will remain in place until the doll meets again, or, or as uh, even on the day, if, if this is rejected next, if it goes to the doll next Saturday week, uh, and an election could be called. The Taoiseach will have to go to the president to say that uh, he cannot, uh, he can, can form a government. Nobody can form a government. Uh, the president might say to him, have a go with the independents. Uh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the independents, we think could maybe uh, get to 80, uh, but it would be, you know, it would be a colossal failure of politics, I think, if it doesn't go through. No, but, but the green question, as Christina pointed out earlier, is a significant bar. Uh, I would expect if it doesn't go through, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael might go to the independents. Uh, but Fianna Gael could, on the basis of their huge poll increase, be tempted to go to uh, the country uh, and we could have another election. Now, another election would be very difficult in relation to the logistics of it, given the, uh, given the ongoing pandemic. Gary, there are time constraints here, right, though? There is legislation that needs to be passed by the end of this month. Indeed, particularly in relation to the security of the state, the Offences Against the State Act needs to be renewed on the 30th of June uh, every year. This is something that, in fact, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael place great uh, store in. And uh, I cannot see how a government couldn't be in place by the end of June. So you either have a this government. Uh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, the Greens, you either have Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael plus independence, or we arrange for another election, which would be, as I said, rather complicated. Right, let's get into the nitty gritty then of this programme for government and see what we should expect over the next four and a half years. Obviously, the Green Party involvement is a major one, uh, Christina. So we'll start there. And something that has been a huge part of the political conversation over the last year, um, carbon tax. So um, a lot of people will expect the carbon tax to increase because of Green Party involvement. But what does the programme for government actually say about it? Well, in the programme for government, it said there'll be an increase in carbon tax up to €100 Euro per tonne by 2030, and that a 7% average year reduction in emissions up to the same year. Um, so that's a huge win uh, for the Green Party. It was something that they've been calling for ever since uh, the February's election and in their manifesto. And if you cast your mind back, there was some harsh words said between Simon Coveney and the deputy leader of the Green Party, Catherine Martin, on the airwaves uh, before we got to this point where he was pretty adamant that the rural members of his party wouldn't be accepting that. And there were some 
pretty tenacious barbs between the two of them about it. Um, but they have managed to get uh, that across the line. It was one of the key sticking points within these negotiations from the very beginning. And it was the main talking point throughout the weeks of negotiations. It really didn't it really didn't disappear throughout um, the coverage of it. On the same side of that, I suppose, the Programme for Government does say there will be no cuts to the national herd. And there's a rollback on calls to end live exports. Um, other things in it, like a food ombudsman will set up the power to enforce unfair trading and practices um, and to scrutinise uh, the, the pricing in the food chain. So that's the measures that might have been put in to sort of appease some of the rural rural members of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and perhaps try and get their focus away from this uh, 7% an, uh, aspect of the programme for government. Okay, so we're not going to reduce the national herd. It does say that in the document, but it does it go into any more detail about how we actually will hit that 7% emissions target? Well, the emissions target kind of goes across multiple departments. That was why it was actually one of the main talking points throughout the negotiations. When you think about it, it involves a lot of things like industry, business, transport. So all of those things um, feature within the programme for government when you look at the, the different breakdown of the spend towards uh, public transport, trying to reduce cars on the roads, and more of a focus on cycling and all the rest. All of those aspects will play in to getting that target. But I, I think it definitely will be something that the Greens, if they manage to get it over the line over the next five years, um, which I think the other parties will, will definitely have to honour, because as we said, it was really their main fighting point throughout this. Is this a big win for the Green Party, Gary? Uh, it certainly is, Sinead, and I don't think this programme for government uh, would have uh, seen the light of day if this particular uh, aspect wasn't in it. I don't think there's any way the Greens could have sold the uh, programme for government if it didn't have the uh, the 7% reduction per year up to 2030. It was, uh, in, in one way, it's the raison d'etre of, be, of being in the Green Party, and if they weren't able to uh, to, to get that over the line, uh, I think the uh, negotiations would have uh, would have collapsed, and I think that probably goes to the heart of why uh, Fine Gael, in particular, uh, rode back from Simon Coveney's rather trenchant comments of uh, at the beginning of the um, of the process. Um, so uh, now he did point out. Uh, just yesterday when the deal was published that a lot of the heavy lifting and the preparations would go in in the first few years and we would see the benefits as a country of these carbon reductions in towards the latter end of this government and indeed into the uh, the next government. But I don't think uh, this programme for government would exist if this wasn't in it. Something else that has dominated the news cycle for pretty much the entire lifetime of the last government was its housing policy and the continued crises in housing and homelessness across the country. What have we got in this programme for government that would hope to address some of those failures? Yeah, well, housing, uh, as we know, was a dominant issue in the uh, in the general election. The exit poll said it was the second most important issue after health uh, for voters, and it is reflected. I think that that is reflected in the program for government. Uh, what strikes me about it, it's very state oriented. The idea of the private developers being a, a solution or a panacea to the ills uh, certainly has taken a backseat, and the Fine Gael seem to have accepted that it is the responsibility of the state uh, to provide housing. Specifically, it promises uh, more than 50,000 additional social homes over the course of the programme. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about things like rental reform, 
which is again a big issue when renters, as we know, and the dissatisfaction with high rents in the urban areas was a huge issue in the general election. There is a, still a debate, I think, about what actually accounts for social housing and even affordable housing. But the uh, the Land Development Agency has now been giving a frontal role in uh, in providing the solution. So what I what I gather or what I get out of this is the uh, it is that is now on, on the state uh, to provide houses for its citizens. Christina, do we have any idea who our next housing minister could be? Has that something been something that's been talked about um, since we've seen the programme for government? Well, there's a lot of speculation about who's going to get what ministry, um, but housing, I suppose, has kind of turned into a, a bit of a, a health um, portfolio when when you think about the the difficulties that Owen Murphy faced in the last government and the criticisms he got, it certainly won't be Owen Murphy sitting at the cabinet table um, with that portfolio anyway. Uh, there has been speculation, perhaps Pascal Donoghue might take it on, somebody with a bit of experience, um, because as we said, this was the main talking point before we had coronavirus, before we, we had the general election, all the rest, housing was the number one issue and it's still there. There's still people that are facing difficulties. Now we will have to see, obviously, what sort of impact COVID-19 has had on on different aspects of it when it comes to short-term lets but I think an interesting thing in the programme for government is the focus on local authorities perhaps taking more of um, a key role when it comes to social housing developments uh, raising the limit at which they can spend money and there's also a focus on them not um, having to get some sort of department approval because that was sort of a lot of criticism coming out in the past about there were projects ready to go local authorities were ready to get going on them and they were being halted I suppose by bureaucracy and all within the department obviously on the flip side we've had a history I suppose of planning issues in this country so there would want to be some sort of oversight to make sure that we're actually doing development and housing development appropriately in this country. And sorry, Sinead, one final point, which I think is important, is that the government has prioritised the idea of every citizen in the state being able to uh, own their own affordable uh, house. And uh, an affordable house purchase scheme is is front and centre, again, of the housing uh, policy. And uh, we'll have to wait and see. And But I think I think it's unquestionable the government will have to act uh, because, uh, you know, come the next election, it'll be uh, crucified if it doesn't do something about it. One of the other things that people probably would like explained, Gary, is this talk of a two to one ratio for infrastructure spending. What do we mean by that? Can you explain it to us? Well, this is the idea from the Green Party that uh, the state should uh, prioritise two thirds of its spending on um, on infrastructure and one third on uh, on taxation. Basically, the idea here is that uh, again, and I, I think it's very strong in this idea of of the state. In one way, this is quite a a, a left wing approach. It is a two to one ratio in capital spending between new uh, initiatives, particularly in roads. Uh, and I kind of think this is a significant victory uh, for the Green Party. And in one way, I would say this is their the second most important thing for them after uh, carbon emissions. And in one way, they they are linked. So what is what it is suggesting is that the be a two to one ratio uh, between new public transport infrastructure and new roads. So in other words, public. Uh, transport taking a significant priority over uh, car ownership and private transport. And again, this has been a long-cherished green goal 
uh, of the idea of moving more and more people uh, to use public transport uh, and uh, and sustainability. And it, in many ways, it links in with what we discussed earlier with carbon uh, emissions. So this idea of uh, the public good, the public interest by using public transport as distinct from the priority of car drivers is uh, is central to the document. And again, I think to use a sort of parlance that's been used, this is a, probably a win for the uh, for the Green Party. It remains to be seen how much road, uh, road new roads will be built and the, there is a question mark about the Cork Limerick uh, motorway still. Um, so yeah, so I, I think this is again uh, an important element in the, uh, the Greens being able to uh, sign up for this deal or certainly it's uh, it's parliamentary party. I would just say on the flip side of that, uh, a red flag would be would be waving for a lot of people within uh, living within rural Ireland and, and the grassroots members of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael perhaps on this one because I was speaking to a number of TDs after their parliamentary party meetings and there is a concern about the two to one ratio and particularly those those big road projects. Um, it was only a couple of weeks ago, I think Pascal Donoghue was outlining the progress reports on the national development plan and a significant chunk of that document was uh, road projects that were earmarked for a uh, beginning of construction over the next couple of months and if there's a question of them being halted or put on the back burner there will be a lot of concerns raised um, at different areas around the country who are perhaps saying that public transport all is all well and good for areas like Dublin and the larger cities within the country but when you're talking about getting from one end of the country to the other from from rural towns and villages um they'll they'll be seriously concerned about what that might mean for them and 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 one of the few costings that we have in this document is the fact that there is a total of 360 million will be allocated uh to cycling and pedestrian projects um each year during the course of the lifetime of the government, which is a significant uh, uh, sum of money by uh, by any means. Would we have seen that level of spending on cycling infrastructure in this country before? Uh, certainly not. And, you know, Eamon Ryan has been cycling to the doll ever since he... Uh, uh, he first got elected and uh, actually ran a cycling business uh, in his UCD days uh, decades ago. It's something he's always been uh, committed uh, to. But I think Christina is right. I mean, there is a there is an issue about the Greens and rural Ireland. Eamon Ryan has been very strong on the idea that the Greens are actually good for rural Ireland, but many who live live there uh, remain uh, remain sceptical. Christine, one of the things that you picked up on coming into the election, and it's something that that Liveline also did, and that a lot of people would put Sinn Féin's big gains down to, was the pension age and the idea that there were the the plan to increase it was going to continue over the next few years, uh, and the anomaly around sixty five and sixty six year olds. So, what has been said about the pension age in this document, and what can we expect to happen, and when? Yeah, well, the age uh, of people qualifying for the state pension will now stay at 66, um, it states within the new programme for government. So it had been planned to increase to 67 next year, but this has been deferred for now. Um, however, there was a bit of a fudge there. Uh, a decision on what will actually happen with the pension age um, will be made next year. So um, this this great word, a commission on pensions will be set up to outline options for the government by June 2021. But there is a commitment to take action on whatever recommendation is made within six months. Um, now, now, I first wrote about this, looking back at some of the articles over the general election on January 21st. So it was a, the pension age was a major election issue 
um, a surprising one, some would say, from the very beginning. Um, the Fine Gael Labour government had increased the age at which you could start to receive your state pension from 65 to 66 in 2014. But this uh, kind of had an anomaly where thousands of 65-year-olds were signing onto the job seekers benefit to, to bridge that gap. So the pension age, um, if we had it continued to by the plan, uh, would have been set to increase from 67 in 2021 to 68 but in 2028 under that plan. So uh, there was significant pushback against that. We'll all remember, I suppose, the live line, Joe Duffy, and a lot of people calling in saying that this this wasn't for them and this is going to be looked at now. Yeah, and there's a lot of companies that still have mandatory retirement at 65. So if you can't get the state pension until 66, you'd kind of be scratching your head at the planning that was going on there. Um, Gary, on this, um, who is this a win for hoping to keep the pension age at 66? Or is it a win for anyone because it seems like such a fudge? Well, I think the fudge gets Fine Gael particularly out of a spot because they, as Christina explained, were the party that increased the the pension age and they were up to 67. And what, again, there's a very specific piece of text which I think is worth alluding to, and that is that in the pension section, those who do reach the age of 65 will not now have to apply for job seekers' benefit uh, or sign on, basically. Uh, and I do think this caused outrage to many people who you know would never have signed on in their lives and had worked, even for the state itself, uh, you know, as public servants, civil servants. So I think it gets Fianna Gael out of a rather a tricky spot. Likewise with Fianna Fáil, because they had put so much uh, emphasis on uh, on opposing Fianna Gael for this. In commissions, now we were always having commissions in one way, Michal Martin, much of his, the criticism of his previous ministerial career was that he was very fond of commissioning uh, reports. Um, but it did become a rather surprising issue during the election and uh, I think this is a kind of a deft or nifty way uh, out of it. Sinn Féin have opposed it again and are insisting and will oppose the this on the grounds that the pension age should be at 65. Moving on to another point that you've both picked out that deserves mention in this episode, and particularly because of the timing of it, we've seen protests in the last few weeks about direct provision in this country. Um, What are the plans if this government goes ahead and we, we see a coalition between these three parties, what's the plan for direct provision, Christina? Yeah, this was um, one of the another sticking point within those negotiation talks and a huge issue obviously playing out over the last number of months. Um, basically, the, the programme for government commits to ending the, the system of direct provision and moving towards a more non-for-profit uh, based system of housing. Um, it doesn't really give much detail on how exactly um, they're going to go about this because there has been, I suppose, different narratives coming out from different parties, particularly Fine Gael, about um, the system with, with uh, Leo Varadkar saying that actually it's not that bad when you look at in comparison to other countries and that it's not mandatory, which was a comment, I suppose, that got a lot of criticism in the last number of weeks. But it was a really a key point, I think, within the Green Party that they wanted to have some sort of mention that this system would be scrapped and some sort of promise that there would be a reformed system worked out and definitely within the next year. How realistic is that, Gary? 
Uh, I, I think it's realistic enough on the grounds that I, I think it will just have to happen. There is a, a strong um, opposition, I think, across the, the, the state to direct provision, uh, which for many people has been a stain on the, the reputation of the state. Uh, the language is, is quite strong. It commits, as Christina said, to ending direct provision system and, quote, will replace it with a new international protection accommodation policy centered on a not-for-profit approach. And I think the not-for-profit is also important on the grounds that there was much complaint that that many of these uh, direct provision centers were, were substandard. Uh, the Those who were, were running them were, were interested in profit mainly. Uh, and I, I think the statement is, is very important. Now, Charlie Flanagan, during the course, uh, as the Minister for Justice, during the course of the election, was at pains to point out, and even subsequently, you know, that the state has been doing its best, uh, but it's not as easy as simply saying end direct provision because of what you replace it with, and that is not very clear yet in the document. There are, I think, seven mentions of direct provision in the programme, but a lot of them are supporting uh, those and those who find themselves in uh, direct provision. Uh, students get a mention. So uh, I think the important point here is the, is it, is the signal that direct provision will end and the details are yet to be uh, yet to be worked out. Yeah, and the Catherine Day review into direct provision and what should happen to it came out before the programme for government. So a lot of this may have been inevitable anyway, but definitely one to keep an eye on over the coming 18 months to 24 months. Um, other things that we'll be keeping an eye on here, it's particularly in newsrooms because we love a, a good vote, a good, good referendum. Gary, what is the plan for this government? Do they have already a focus on what they would like to see votes taken on? Well, the the programme for government is says is quite clear on three referenda and then unsure on another couple of ones. So basically what it proposes to do is have a referendum on the right to a home. Uh, this is something long cherished by the uh, by the left, uh, but opposed for, for for decades, particularly by by Fine Gael. And there is a uh, there is a question mark uh, about the, the wording. And as we know, if you look at something like the Eighth Amendment, the wording on these things is really important. Uh, the second one is the place of women in the home. Uh, obviously, a an article that is so archaic and out of tune with modern Ireland that it, it seems a relative uh, no-brainer. Uh, and the third is votes for immigrants in uh, in presidential elections. Now, I, in many ways, have been critical of this third, uh, third one before on the grounds that I'm not sure you actually need uh, a referendum. I think this could potentially be legislated for, uh, and I'm not sure what's so special about presidential elections as distinct from any other election. Uh, but be that as it may, that is what what's in the program for government. Then there are potential other another a bunch of referendums, uh, and particularly it's going to look we would have to be either sent to a citizens assembly or to some other group. And the idea then is these might go forward uh, for. A referendum and I think particularly there will be of interest is the possibility of having one on uh, on the public ownership of water. There is a people power element to this document to this program for government uh, Christina because there is a lot of uh, stock put in a citizens assembly procedure as well what kind of things could we see uh, being held at citizen assembly level over the coming years? Yeah, well, I think a really interesting one is on drug policy um, in this country. It's obviously something that's been discussed for years in terms of how Ireland deals with uh, substance abuse. Um, so the, the programme for government does say that a health-led approach to drug misuse 
um, sh- should be taken on board and it speaks about substance abuse and addiction affecting people from all walks of life. So uh, it has committed to convene a citizens' assembly to consider matters uh, relating to drug use and also, interestingly, to examine the regulations and legislation that apply to cannabis use for um, medical conditions and palliative care, um, drawing some experience from the Northern Ireland and uh, UK experience. So I think when that actually kicks off, that would be a really big debate, I think, for this country to have. We'll get probably a lot of coverage um, when we talk about moving away from um, focusing on convictions and look, seeing drug and substance abuse as more of a, a health issue. I think it, it makes sense, as one TD said, that it's it, we're very late uh, to the game with this. We're, we're rather quite behind um, a lot of other EU countries when it comes to how we deal with uh, substance abuse and drugs um, and a lot of people saying that this uh, Citizens' Assembly couldn't come quick enough. There's also a mention of an electoral commission while we're on the subject of people power, Gary. What would this electoral commission do? Well, that is something that I and many others in the in the political community, political science community, have been calling for, for, for many years. So basically, our elections are currently run by the Department of the Environment over the course of its various names uh, in the history of the state. Uh, and to be perfectly frank, uh, it hasn't worked as well as it should work. For instance, the electoral register uh, is a mess. So often, as you know, people, you know, their voting cards don't turn up. People who are dead remain on the register for years. Uh, people who are alive don't appear in the register and so the basic idea is that you would uh, farm out how the state runs its elections how it runs referendums to uh, to a professional electoral uh, commission as is the case in many other states and this uh, program for government uh, finally seems to signal that that will uh, will happen it says it will establish an electoral commission to provide oversight of elections and referendums to inform the public about elections and referendums uh, to update and maintain the electoral register and to conduct uh, elections which will be in place by the end of 2021 and I cannot stress how important this is uh, because if you can't have trust in your electoral register then you're uh, you're in a bit of bother uh, and um, that electoral commission I think is also important Sinead because in a subject close to uh, your own heart it will uh, the electoral commission will be empowered to regulate online uh, political advertising in the public interest and um, It'll also examine the use of postal voting and uh, the use of posters. So I, I think this is a pretty important uh, development and it's something that, in my view, uh, you know, can come a moment too soon. So that's kind of a win for the political scientist community, Gary, is it? But I think it went for the citizens. I think it went for the citizens of the state because the trouble has been that there is a, you know, without being too critical, there is a section in the Department of the Environment that has treasured its ability to run elections in the state but i think it is time to uh, i think it's time to move forward other states have moved forward to electoral commissions and i think that's what should uh, that's what should happen here christina it's kind of hard today to talk about this without talking about how this will impact on all of our pockets and what the plan for tax is especially with the backdrop of everything going on you know all of us being at home a lot of people being at home not able to work and um, what is the plan for taxation and is it a realistic plan well well that's that's the big question i suppose uh, a lot of parties would have gone into those negotiations with an idea of what they want to do in the taxation side and finnegal was very clear that they did not want any income tax increases or USC um, 
rate hikes. So uh, they got a win on that one because that's exactly what's in the programme for government. Uh, Leo Varadkar really dug his heels in on this one. Um, It's a simple argument to make, but when you hike up people's taxes, it doesn't do very well for your votes. Um, And it was probably one of the reasons why the Labour Party said they didn't want anything to do with getting involved in negotiations, because they were actually in favour of um, increasing taxation in terms of uh, getting, you know, more bang for our buck in terms of services. But Fine Gael were very clear that they they did not want to go down that road. Um, But the yeah, the big question is exactly that, is we're heading into a very uncertain time in terms of the economy. Um, even when this programme for government was agreed by the party leaders, uh, each one came out with the caveat of challenging times ahead for Ireland and having to work together to, to build the country back up. So the question is, I suppose, a programme for government, it's a lovely uh, document with a lot of promises. Perhaps it's a bit of a wish list when you look at some of the, the key challenges we will face. And a lot of eyes will be looking at how exactly, as we said, we're going to pay for it all. Well, just on tax, I think uh, I think clearly, you know, if, if one reflects, why, why do people vote for Fine Gael? Uh, one of the issues is clearly they're seeing as the party of, of, of enterprise and a party of, of traditionally of low taxation. Uh, so notwithstanding COVID-19, I think it was really important for, uh, for Fine Gael that they would be able to say to their supporters that there will be no hikes in, in income tax or USC. Now, remember way back in the 2016 election, they promised to abolish USC fully. And of course, that never happened. So I think if Fine Gael stands for anything, it, it's supposed to stand for low taxation. Uh, and in that context, I think that's why the, the document does reflect that because Many in Fine Gael, I think, have been upset with the programme for government because of the constant talk, including by myself, that it has been, uh, you know, there are a lot of wins, so-called, for, for the Greens and uh, even for Fianna Fáil, but there's not much of a Fine Gael uh, imprint on it. And I, I think that's where the taxation comes in. Christina, before we head off, can you pick out a couple of things from the document that you think that we should be keeping an eye on over the coming years? Well, I think uh, there's a couple of ones that kind of jumped out at me uh, in terms of uh, perhaps the Greens. There's a win there for them on a a micro-generation scheme which will allow property owners sell access power to the grid and they want that running within 12 months. So that's perhaps uh, a good way for people to to make a few extra quid if if they can can get involved with that. Uh, Another one I suppose that jumped out with me was the free contraception for um, women aged between 17 and 25. And also uh, bringing in taxation on vaping products. So that was obviously a debate we've had a long time in terms of um, smoking. Uh, a lot of people moving towards those uh, vaping cigarettes. But uh, it looks like a tax might be put on them in the years ahead. And Gary, same question to you. Is there anything when you were reading it really piqued your interest and you thought, hmm, that's interesting. Well, speaking uh, to my own heart, I suppose, I, I was interested in the higher education uh, section. And uh, in one way, again, it's kind of vague uh, in it talks about developing a long-term sustainable funding model uh, for higher level education, um, which is, quote, informed by recent and ongoing research and analysis. Now, this could have been in literally any document over the course of the uh, of the last two two decades, but there is also, I think, an important element around uh, increasing in, in apprenticeships. There has been long this obsession uh, that, you know, higher education is the be-all and end-all of 
post uh, primary school and I don't think that's the case and I, I, I welcome the idea of actually uh, you know increasing uh, apprenticeships uh, but I will be I will be also very interested to see how the uh, the promises to pay for a world-class higher education uh, come to fruition as the course of the uh, the government uh, plays out. I think that is the big question that most people have after reading, if they did read the 126 pages, where's the money going to come from for this? But thank you, Christina and Gary, for explaining it, because I think a lot of people won't have to read the 126 pages now. So thanks for coming in and explaining all of that to us today. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Christina and Gary for their work on this episode. If you enjoyed this chat and learned something, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalogue where you'll find other shows, one on what it means to defund the police and plenty more on the coronavirus and its impact on Ireland. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and share them with a friend who you think will enjoy them as well. Thank you and catch you next time.